Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and killer snot monster from outer space, Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> and I'm story expert and girl who can break things just by looking at them, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Listening to Fear, the ninth episode of season five. Listening to Fear aired on November 28th. 2000 and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner and directed by David Solomon. If you have not yet heard, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, so everything we discuss here will reference all of Buffy, some of Angel, and maybe even a bit of the comic books on occasion. If you are spoiler phobic, go watch it all and then come on back. Yep, Space Lamb got him. So let's go on patrol. In Listening to Fear, Buffy stays with Joyce in the hospital while the Scoobies patrol. Willow dusts two vampires, and Riley doesn't get any because he skipped patrolling for Buffy so he could go get his arm sucked by a vampire. At the hospital, the brain tumor is making Joyce say weird stuff. The warehouse guard Glory destabilized zeroes in on Dawn, saying she's not real. Later, Willow and Tara cuddle on the roof, naming constellations. I see... A huge flaming meteor about to crash into something. At the hospital, Buffy asks the doctor if Joyce can rest at home until her surgery in a couple of days. We see the monster that landed in the meteorite scurry across the ceiling. Out in the woods, the Scoobies plus Riley investigate the meteor crash site and discover the body of the warehouse guy. While the Scoobies go to research, Riley hangs back and calls in the initiative. Back at home, Joyce wakes up for midnight pancakes and Buffy puts her back to bed. But as Joyce sees Dawn, she really sees Dawn. You, you sing. Mom, please. Get away from me. You're nothing. You're, you're a shadow. That night, Joyce rants away in her room. But what neither Dawn nor Buffy realize is that she's talking to a demon all lounged out on the ceiling in a hey baby pose, which is weird. The Scoobies figure out that it's a Queller demon coming to town to kill all people with mental illness. Riley and the initiative go to the hospital to track it, but hit a dead end, and he figures out that it hitched a ride with Joyce, who has a brain tumor, not mental illness, and Riley hasn't seen her acting weird, but you know, whatever. There's only eight minutes left in the show. <laughs> Give me a list of all patients discharged in the last 24 no. hours. I know where it's going. We've got to move now. The demon finally decides that it's flirted with Joyce long enough and descends upon her, barfing up some kind of solidifying mucus all over her face. And if that's your kink, okay, but this is non-consensual mucusing. Dawn hears Joyce <laughs> screaming and comes in, then chases the demon away with a coat rack because she's a fucking badass. She screams for Buffy, who hunts through the house for the demon. She finds one, but it's not a queller. It's Spike coming up from the basement where he'd been stealing pictures of Buffy. Before Buffy can react to that weirdness, the queller attacks. She and Spike fight it and she kills it. And then Riley busts in with the initiative just in time to do cleanup. Meanwhile, out in the hospital parking lot, Ben is not at all surprised to see Glory's minion, Dreg, hanging out in his back seat. I just want to understand why summon the queller? What do you think? because I'm cleaning up Lori's mess, just like I've done my whole damn life. The next day, Buffy sits with Joyce in the hospital as they wait for her to go into surgery. Joyce tells Buffy that she knows that Dawn isn't really her daughter, but it doesn't matter. She still feels like her daughter. She asks Buffy to promise to take care of Dawn, and Buffy promises. She hugs Dawn close to her as they watch Joyce wheel away to surgery. My sweet, brave Buffy. What would I do without you? All right, so, Noelle, here we are. Here we talking are. Talking about listening to fear, which is yet another one of these episodes. Now, I, I think that, like, I don't, I don't know Buffy as well as, like, some people. There are people out there who, like, know Buffy, like, every minute, everything, and they remember everything about it. I, I, I know most of the major stuff. Um, I would say I'm, like, 75% Buffy expert, 25% cream cheese. <laughs> and... <laughs> The thing with these episodes, last week's Shadow, this week Listening to Fear, is that I I know vaguely like they have to do with Joyce and her brain and all of that stuff and but I never remember exactly what they are. And I was like a good I was up until they were uh Tara and Willow were staring at the sky and the constellations. I was like, Oh, that's which one this is, you know? <laughs> um 
And it's never been one of my favorites. But like the thing is, is that there's three basic categories of television episode, not just Buffy, but like of anything, right? There's the good, there's the bad, there's the meh, right? You know, and Mm -hmm. the good are good, right? So they're always fun to talk about because they're good. We may not have quite as much to say because we're like, yeah, that was really good, you know, but I mean, but they're really fun to talk about and they make for a good episode of of analysis, right? Um, And the bad are, you know, maybe bad, but usually they're bad in like really interesting, crunchy ways. And so actually, I think for me personally, are the most fun to talk about. I love talking about the bad, bad episodes. Those are really great. Um, But the meh episodes, those are like (laughs) the worst episodes because they aren't good enough to be good. So you can't talk about what was good and they're not interesting enough to be bad. They're just like, you know, whatever, like meh. Like a queller demon from, you know, fucking outer space or whatever. Um, And that's what listening to fear is for me, you know, and shadow from last week was that a little bit. They're like, yeah, you know, they're not terrible, but they're just not great episodes. And um, so I don't know, for me, listening to fear is very much of the meh, you know, uh, category. So uh, where does it land for you? It's definitely meh for me as well although mm-hmm. i might like it a little bit better than shadow okay maybe slightly mm-hmm. but here's here's the thing that's kind of interesting about this episode to me this is our third episode that takes place basically they're bam 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 right so fool for love and then shadow and then listening to fear it's like three days three episodes three days Right. So, yeah, we've cramped, which is funny because sometimes we get episodes that are effectively, you know, weeks or months apart. So to have have these three in this like compressed time. Yeah, because Mm -hmm. I mean, because the story or a big chunk of the story is. Joyce's brain tumor, Joyce is in the hospital. It's a lot of waiting. Like last week Mm -hmm. we were waiting in the waiting room and now we're waiting in the room room. Yeah. And it sucks but it doesn't there's not a lot of passage of time or passage of story that happens Mm -hmm, but what mm -hmm. i did notice about listening to fear that i kind of enjoyed but also kind of wondered about is that it's essentially shadow part two i know we get our shadow the third beat of the shadow thing we get in this one and i was like well wait a minute Yeah. Could we not have like had a little bit of that in last week or something so that like, I mean, I guess because this is the moment where Joyce realizes, you know, where she has this sudden knowledge from on high that there is something different about Dawn. Right. Um, But yeah, waiting for that shadow three beat that feels like it should have been last week. Yeah, it really does, especially because it's Joyce to Dawn. You're nothing. You're a shadow. Mm -hmm. There it is. But. Yeah. Okay. Like not. Yeah. Not quite. No. And it's not satisfying the way it would be if it was actually part of the same episode. Or if it were, Um, if we were doing a metaphor with the brain tumor as a direct effect of Dawn's presence in the world, that if Dawn, you know, if Joyce has a shadow that's showing up Uh on this, on this scan in her brain, if, and then Dawn is and then a Dawn shadow. is the shadow. If we were doing something where we were making a connection between right. the tumor and this individual, and glory, the glory, that or that somehow that glory, because glory is the one that that destabilizes the other um, people who see Dawn. Right, right. You know. Um, so if it was a glory thing, but I mean, the whole point is what they keep stressing is that what's happening to Joyce is just mundane. It does not have a mystical element. And so therefore we can't deal with it mystically. Like that's the whole point. But that um, whole you are the shadow thing really says that right. it kind of is, that it's almost like exactly. the creation of Dawn also necessitated like like a butterfly effect thing. Like I'm you can't, Buffy, you know. Right. At which point if I'm Buffy, I'm like, oh, evidence for mystical, let's get the spells exactly. out. Exactly. Fix my mom. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. That yeah. that made me... It's muddy. Mm-hmm. It made me wish that the two episodes had been worked maybe into mm-hmm. one somehow. I don't know that we would have ended up with like a space cockroach, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I like whatever the, the fuck that is. I mean, right? But yeah. if we had done something, because right, because in in Shadow, Glory summons the you know 
snake He-Man, and then right. we find out that, oh shit, Ben summoned the Queller demon from outer space to clean up Glory's mess. What? You know, but if there had been... I don't right. know. I feel like there's another way to do that. Like, I like the idea of each of them summoning something and then mm-hmm. maybe we think the tumor is connected to Dawn somehow. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. there's there's just uh, yeah. enough connection between Shadow yeah. and listening to fear that I want there to be more. Um like right. the Joyce POV yeah. thing that I talked about right. with mm-hmm. Shadow. You know, we get that lovely opening shot. Well, here mm-hmm. the final shot is Joyce's POV and not right. just in the sense that we're like with her as she's being wheeled mm-hmm. into surgery, but we're literally seeing what she's seeing yeah. as she's yeah. being wheeled away from the group and they're all gathered there to see her off. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice bookend after last week's opening shot of Joyce alone in the hospital for her scan, but it's not, it's just But it not, doesn't feel meaningfully connected. No. It's like they're, they're really like pale reflections of each other. And that's one of the things like I, I kind of see this episode as like story leftovers, right? Yeah. It's just what was in the fridge after they finished Shadow. <laughs> I love that and phrase. And they pulled it out. You know, yeah, but I mean, it kind of feels like sad, warmed up shadow remnants, you know, remnants <laughs> from an episode, which, by the way, was not really that much to speak of. It's, it's bad reheated meatloaf. Right. Is what and then it is. you like put it's some that's... cheese on it to like kind of spruce it up you a little bit. And can? it's just not. They, added, they did add some new things. Like uh, we've got explicitly showing us a connection between Ben and Glory, which we had hinted at when she shows up and grabs the demon that's about to come for him. Right. Um, so we show that the floppy haired douche intern is evil, you know. <laughs> Uh, we have to notice that people. Oh no, evil! He summoned a demon to kill people with mental illness. Nope, evil. I don't care what his. I don't care what he's doing. <laughs> I don't care why he's doing it. He is a doctor. There is a there is an oath involved that you do no fucking harm. But aside from that, as a human, there are morals. <laughs> you do not kill people. I'm sorry. That's just you don't do unless somebody is coming at you to kill you or kill somebody else, in which case they took the gloves off. Right. You do not fucking kill people. And to bring in a demon that is just going and what happens when it runs out of glorious victims, then it's just going to go throughout the world looking for anybody with like any kind of mental instability, Um, which, by the way, is all of us, all of us, all of us have mental instability of one kind or another and mental and emotional, you know, health issues happen. And it's just it is how it is, you know, Um, But yeah, so I find that so unbelievably uh, disturbing and gross. And I really, really super hate Ben. And I also (laughs) super hate that we don't textually seem to call him out as being like absolute evil until like way later in the season. And even then it's sympathetic evil because like he's stuck in this body with glory and he's just a victim and he's just, you know, who can blame him for trying to. No, bad dude. Bad dude. Queller Queller says bad dude. That is the judge's reading. And yet we don't really seem to to textually. And, and, and that's how I remember it. We'll watch throughout the rest of the season. I'll see if I change my mind. But as I recall it textually, we kind of sympathize with Ben for a lot of this season. And this is the point where we stop sympathizing with Ben because fuck you, Ben. Right. Um, I mean, I realize things have not been ideal for Ben. Fine. But this is where he he is actual like evil. Which is funny because his name means good. Like that's really that's fascinating. So, yes, it is. It is ironic (laughs) (laughs) because he is not good. He is not good. Um, We uh, a couple other things that are new. The the added cheese in this episode to extend the bad meatloaf metaphor um, is having Dawn notice that people keep telling her that she's not real. And then Joyce, of course, gaining this knowledge that Dawn isn't really hers. Um, And again, feels just like we're warming up old stuff. You know, Um, we have the people that Glory whammied uh, seeing Dawn as, you know, 
not a girl, so we've gotten that. Uh, Joyce has her brain tumor. We knew that before. We're revisiting that again. Um, Riley's going dark and resents that Buffy isn't including him in her trauma, which maybe she's not doing because you won't let her trauma be about her, Riley. Maybe think about that for a minute. Whatever. Uh, Spike stalking Buffy, but in such a cute way. <laughs> um, okay. Which is, by the way, how I demonstrate for everybody that it's okay to feel conflicted about Spike, but it's not okay to allow his cuteness to blind you to the fact that this is creepy. This is creepy and super wrong that he is climbing around in her, you know, cellar trying to find pictures of her. It's creepy and super wrong, but I think it's also allowed to be cute and funny because Spike is not. Because he is a vampire. Yes. Well, he, but he's also like not really. I don't think any of us believe that Spike is really a threat to Buffy. He's more of an annoyance. So He is more of an annoyance. He, and he's also I mean, evil. So it's okay when evil people do evil things. He's, But he's certainly capable. Like he's certainly capable of really, really hurting her. But yeah. she doesn't take him very seriously which enables us no. to not take what he's to doing very seriously. seriously um yes yeah Are those I, pictures of me and this is the <laughs> quote it's great it's great it's damned damned I adorable also love him not even like he has no story like he's not gonna try to cover oh, there's nothing he's yes. just like yes. yeah it's not like i can get a job you know <laughs> Serving burgers. I'm like that. Okay. I mean, fair play to the evil guy. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. He's... But in these few minutes, though, with Spike, like it builds up the relationship with Spike and Buffy. And I know I've said this before. I'll say it again. And everybody who out there is drinking water every time I say this, then go ahead and get your glasses. But when you have people who work well together, and in 30 seconds, we have, you yes! know, he's all weird and creepy, then he jumps into action with Buffy. You know, they kill this queller together. He tosses her the knife. She seamlessly grabs it out of the air, stabs a the thing. Their timing is perfect. And then holds out his hand. We have that close-up of his hand yep. as he pulls her up. And they work together so beautifully. And then in comes Riley as the anti-spike. Yes. Right? In every yep. possible way, the anti-spike. Um, and I just, I I love that. I also love that Spike, A, has no problem being a backup to her. Yep. He doesn't have to be the one doing the killing. He doesn't have to, in another way that he's the anti-Riley, right? Um, doesn't have to be the one doing the killing, does not mind being a support person to her. And they work so beautifully together. Um, and it's I, so you know, quick. I kind of love it. It yeah, done it so quickly quick. and so effectively. And, mm -hmm. you know, you talk about working well together and obviously, you know, collaborating to kill a demon or solve a mm -hmm. puzzle or whatever is working well together. Right. But I think there's also a working well together in the not lying to each other. Like he could yes. try to create yeah. a story in that moment about like why he's there or what he's doing but he's like right yeah i'm stealing your stuff <laughs> i'm stealing your stuff exactly <laughs> like, okay and I love that. you know and he was like he was hiding yeah. the fact that it was pictures but he was absolutely like yeah i'm stealing your stuff yeah, I'm stealing you know? your stuff um, what of it? <laughs> which i think is is really super great and i just i love that relationship and i love i'm telling you you get people who work well together and that is the best way to build any relationship but especially especially romance uh so let's go into the anti-spike oh my god oh my god the anti-spike well i i also love just as a little coda on that mm -hmm. that spike yeah. has to get in a dig at riley as oh, riley yes, comes does. in he's like mm, oh yes you missed does. it yeah like, you, you missed it good job yeah you miss it Damn. and of course yeah. riley Oh, Riley. Riley, Riley, oh, Riley. Riley. Riley's. Yeah. Does it bother anyone else that Riley's extracurricular activities are just framed so weirdly in this episode? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're really setting up Riley getting munched on by a vampire in a back alley as like doing the drugs. <laughs> like, oh, or, oh, well, also, there's like a prostitution element to it. Yeah. They're Although who's the prostitute? Is, yeah. Because she's set up as a prostitute, but she's also like getting a meal. It's a you know? weird, but it's not, I don't know. It's yeah. not sexy. I don't think. I mean, maybe it's sexy to somebody. I don't think it's sexy, but I, it feels like it's set it's, up with that, that kind of feel to it, uh, you know? But even, I don't know. The way she's sucking on his arm. I mean, I mean, she's sucking on him. Like, 
Okay. I, maybe there's something really wrong with me, but it feels it's very well, she, bodily. We, see, we get that shot where we see her fingers like grasp his shoulder in this very... Yeah. Uh, it feels it feels very back alley sex to adjacent, me. Sort it of feels more like prostitution than drugs to me. It, as a as a metaphor, I get more. I get more of a like back alley drug deal sort of feel from okay. this moment. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. which is odd to me and also yeah. frustrating mm-hmm. because we usually get vampires here and elsewhere. As being mm-hmm. very connected to sex and sexuality. And I think that's great. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. a fun metaphor to play with. And here it's just kind of like, wah, wah, wah. like, I don't, <laughs> I don't love it. Like, I like, okay. It's sad trombone it's prostitution sad drugs. Trombone. <laughs> like, it's such a bummer. And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here is the thing. Well, here's the thing mm-hmm. for me. Okay. I like the idea behind mm-hmm. Riley trying to like get it about vampires like trying right. to mm-hmm. have this experience that will is make- he trying to understand or is he is he trying to like darken himself I don't know I honestly don't know and that's part of why I'm confused about this story as it plays yeah. out mm-hmm. but what I like is the setup Like, I think that that idea that he would somehow that he would that he wouldn't. How do I want to say this? (laughs) Uh I like the idea that Riley would choose to engage with vampires in a way that is that goes beyond just, well, they're subterrestrials and I'm going to stake them because they're evil, bad Mm -hmm. monsters and they're always bad and evil. I like Mm -hmm. the idea of him kind of i mean experimenting with vampirism for lack of a better right. phrase but it's done in such a clunky way and because we don't really have a good mm-hmm. baseline for how much sympathy we're supposed to have for riley right it falls kind of flat for me but i think as a concept as like a story idea i'm into it i just don't like I, you know, where it goes or how it's executed I think it's the why of it. Like, I actually wouldn't mind it if it was a an identity thing, right? And especially because here he calls in his old girlfriend, the initiative, right? Um, so, like, he calls in the initiative. Oh, Graham and Riley together again. I hoped I those crazy know. kids would work it out. I know. I like them so much. Um But I think that, like, what bothers me about it is that this all comes from the fact that Buffy will not allow her trauma to be about him, right? Um, That he's, it's got to be that he's the one who's there to, um, you know, to be there. And then also, like, that he didn't know that Joyce was in the hospital, that, like, he didn't know, like, the basic things, you know? Um, So we had, we had an element of that here. So we're building this up as, like, he is, he is experimenting with this darkness, not because he's trying to figure out who he is. You know, which I think after everything that happened in the initiative is a wonderful. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit off step because season four was our identity, you know, season. Yeah. So, you know, get with get with the program, Riley. But I mean, <laughs> Late to the party. I think I think there's never a time where it's a bad time to have a struggle with identity. I think that that's fantastic. And I um, I like like if he was doing that where he was trying to figure out who he is when he's not part of this group, when he's not part of the initiative Um, and and not really feeling like he has a place, you know, in the Scoobies either for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, you know, that he's just having that like the idea that he's struggling with his identity does not bother me. I actually kind of like that. You know, I I love a good identity story like that shit. That shit works for me, you know, Um, but the fact that it's all Buffy's fault, I love you so much, it makes mm-hmm. me crazy. All of these things that he says, you make me so crazy because I love you so much. Um, that is something that is um, that is disturbing, that has that, that, you know, that little, you know, hint of codependence that uh, that's always really alarming. Um, there's so much of it that I feel would have been good had it been done in a different way, had it been done in a way that he was pulling away from her, not because she wasn't 
giving him enough reassurance that he was still Captain America, but that deep down <laughs> inside, he didn't know if he was Captain America. Like yeah. he didn't know if that's who he really was or if that was just something that, you know. And so as like to have him meet this Sandy vampire uh-huh. and like have a connection with her of some sort at this bar as opposed to, well, let me let her bite me and then stake her. You know, if he was cheating kind of in that way, making it not about Buffy, but about him, I actually would have really liked that. I would have thought that was a really interesting story for him, you know. But this, this petulant, I'm going to have a vampire bite me because my girlfriend is <laughs> letting her trauma be about me. Um, yeah, that's so I just, mean. I no She'll never talk to it. me. I'm going to let this vampire launch uh, on my arm. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, it's just, it really is. It's just so, it's so freaking irritating. I don't know. So, my, but it go, you know, my patience for Riley, like, my patience for Riley wears out so hard at this point in the run that it actually retroactively goes back and poisons any delight I might have gotten from Riley in early season four. You know, um, it, it just it's it's so irritating and and annoying and like not not up to the kinds of stories that we tell, you know, in in the Buffyverse that I don't know. I just don't have any patience for it. <laughs> just, <laughs> it just I, bums like, you out. Like, he's still here and you're just bummed about it. <laughs> the amount, I'm not even bummed. I mean, like, I'm past annoyed and angry. Now I'm just, like, tired. He just comes on the screen and I'm like, when is it me? Or, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I have, I have, I very, very rarely cared less about anything than I care about Riley and his stupid bullshit right now, you know? Um, well, and a character but, you yeah. don't care about is, like, pretty that's pretty much the worst. That's the worst. It's the worst. Because even the ones that you hate are the ones that are are terrible, you know, um, you can still like get something out of that character, you know, but Riley is just again, you know, he is the uh, unflavored mashed potato reheated <laughs> next to this bad meatloaf with weird cheese on it. That is listening to fear there is no metaphor i will not extend way past the expiration date i'm just letting you know um okay speaking of past the expiration date let's talk a little bit about the queller um i hate this demon how did you feel about the queller as a monster you okay i just i just love that you're like I'm going to talk about this demon. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I don't hate it as much as you do, but okay, like, good. go. Like, it's great. I love <laughs> I love it when you're just like, nope, cancel, next, can't hard, do it. Hard nope. Capital nope. N, nope for me. <laughs> Capital K-N, Leslie, nope for me. Yes, no. uh, the Queller is just not. I, okay, here's the thing. I hate that it's from space, right? <laughs> Although demons run like all throughout the universe, you know, they generally travel via like portals or mystical things, meteorites. You know, it feels counter to the world building of Buffy, you know, the same way the initiative did. And while I don't think it's inherently bad to combine sci-fi and fantasy elements, it always just feels weird to me. Although I realize that I don't mind fantasy elements mixed into like space based sci-fi that doesn't bother me but sci-fi elements in an earth-based fantasy just feels weird to me it might just be me i know i've had this discussion with people before and many people have disagreed with me and made really really good arguments for why it's not a problem but for me it just always feels like they contradict each other in some kind of like essential way that just makes it not work for me um you know and it immediately it jumps on all the men and kills them in a heartbeat but with joyce it's did you see the like lounging on the kind of like with his hand under his head like hey baby it was a very (laughs) weird pose that they had it in on the ceiling because they and he's just listening to her we needed to be able to see its face we needed to see that it was like But I mean, it's just hanging like all the others. It jumps on them and it immediately like mucuses into their face. Okay, I have a theory that it's yes, that it's a demon, that it's a demon. I have a theory, (laughs) a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. We're not there yet. Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't know. Not a theory, Uh maybe so much as an observation. So the first. Yes. Who does it kill first? Does it kill the man in the hospital first or does it kill 
the man in the woods first. I don't remember. It kills the man um, in the woods first. The guard. That's yeah, right. The okay. guard that they sent home. Yeah. Right. So, okay. First of all, that's just fucking weird because then, you know, Riley and the initiative and everybody's out like looking around. I'm uh-huh. like, this dude, how far did he get from his family? Are they not looking Who's for him? Who's taking care of him? And the first night back, too. Like, you would yeah. think somebody the first night back would be like, hey, dad, let me hang out with you. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. So it drops, it drops on the man in the woods, and then it mm-hmm. drops on the guys in the hospital. The man in the woods, I don't know. But the guys in the hospital are all strapped to their beds, which disturbing. Yeah. We'll get there in a minute. Uh-huh. Yeah, we will. They can't. They couldn't possibly fight back. But Joyce is not restrained. Right. So I don't know. Maybe it hangs out longer because it's got to like wait to I think it's I think it's hitting on her. I think it bought her a dirty gray goose martini and oh just slid God. it across the bar and was like, hey, baby, tell oh. me your problems. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because the way that the way that it's lounging there, it looks like it's lying down with one hand behind its, its head, kind of like, hey, it's doing a sexy hut. pose. It's doing job of the I hut. Mean, whatever. It is seducing Joyce. And then after a while, it's like, well, OK, I'm bored now. And just like jumps on drop her. Drop on you. I'm just going to drop thing. on you. Um, so, yeah, it's a little weird. But I mean, I realize that yeah. we have that so that we can extend this moment of suspense where we're like, oh, is it going to get Joyce? You know, but it didn't sit there and have a therapy session with any of the others first. She's you know? unrestrained. And also she is, yeah. I mean, a problematic word incoming. She's more sane. Mm-hmm. She has moments yeah. of she has moments of clarity and being herself throughout this episode that the folks who have been you know, sucked dry right. by glory don't appear so to. Is it, is it trying to discern whether this is something it's allowed to kill? It Maybe. only kills people who are Maybe. past a certain point. I don't know, which again, yeah. like there's some problematic illness metaphor bullshit like who is sick enough to write off who is sick enough who is sick enough to say or healthy enough to save and who's sick enough to who's worth saving who's worth saving right yeah Yeah. even in even in our disturbing cockroach demon Mm -hmm. things from outer space we still have like no i don't know if this one's i don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the queller is called in to kill people, you know, like well, specifically that- to get rid of the air quotes problem that is, yeah, yeah. air quotes Mad Men, <laughs> which right. apparently was yeah. a TV show that people watched anyway. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, but that was about advertising on Madison Avenue. It wasn't about. <laughs> I don't. What? It was about mental illness, but it wasn't about mental illness. You know what I mean? <laughs> Different if you watch kind Mad of mental Men, illness. Yes. Oh yeah, societal mental illness, <laughs> which we have very, very badly. Yeah. No. It's um the Queller is just disturbing in a million ways. Um and and there's I mean honestly when it comes down to it, I I don't the way in which it is specifically evil. Um is disturbing commentary on us as as the the people who would call it down to kill our friends and family because they weren't behaving the way we wanted them to or you know <laughs> they were suffering or struggling with with an illness because and you know it's a drag really is people suffering like people struggling people suffering just such a drag let's just get rid of all of them such and, a drag oh my yeah. god and you know i mean i guess maybe there's an implication that those were all communities that glory had attacked in the past or whatever there's a like a, there's a hint of that yeah, possibility that this queller is specifically there to clean up after glory um and maybe he was trying to decide if joyce had been touched by glory but the thing is that he i mean as a magical space cockroach she should be able to figure that out right just look at somebody and know immediately if they had been uh, but but again we don't get any clarity on any of that i mean that's just something that you would kind of think well maybe that's what it is you know i think that there's some textual kind of hinting toward that but no confirmation well and it's all speculation anyway like they do the scoobies go into research mode and you know, it's adorable and enjoyable to see them doing that. But in it's the all like library. In the They're library. in a library. But I it's know. all speculation. Like it's all based on 
these invented connections where Willow's like, oh, I guess this happened around the same time. And I'm like, okay, I get it. We need to like quickly explain away. This isn't a one off. Like this is a thing in the world. But I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's just like a lot of the presumptions that go on where people figure stuff out just because there's only so many minutes left in the episode. It's at that point where you're like, okay, you know, whatever. Um, But the Queller being, you know, evil is is evil on its own. Fine. But Ben... Ben is evil. Oh, you know, shit. Ben brings in a person in a demon to kill all the people that Glory destabilized, clearly connected to Glory. Um, all of this stuff that we talked about that he's just a bit like I like the Queller is bad, but Ben is the real like bad guy in this episode. And I just want that stated for clarity because Ben sucks. Ben <laughs> sucks donkey balls. Ben is terrible. Even yes. Drag is like, whoa, man, that was like a lot. Even Drag, <laughs> yes, exactly. Drag is like, you know, when Drag judges your moral choices, right. I think that there's, you got to take a moment and look at yourself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when Drag just, is like, I don't good. know, that seems kind of harsh. <laughs> that seems, dude. That seems like a little much. Like, seems I don't know lot. if you're feeling okay or when, whatever, if the yeah. pressure is getting to you. When but drag yeah. becomes yeah. the moral compass, you're just like, <laughs> When drag oh is boy. your Jiminy Cricket, then you know <laughs> shit's gone wrong in life. Not okay. In life. Bad choices, right. Ben. Ben made some bad... So Ben has made some bad choices. Ben may have yes, really has. good reasons for making bad choices. We'll get there. <laughs> but, but we'll see. Ba- he, may have, he may have mildly sympathetic reasons. For making some of the choices he makes. But Ben, I will argue, and I think I will continue to argue this unless something happens that I've forgotten in the next, you know, handful of episodes that will change my mind. Uh, but Ben continues to be like the worst. Like he's he's pretty terrible. Um, and the fact that we don't textually hold him responsible for that terribleness, uh, I think is a little bit weird. Um, but one thing that was really, really great in this episode, though, is Tara and Willow. Um, oh, my God. Just this quick scene that doesn't really it's nothing at all except for that this is when they see the meteor come in nothing really to do with anything it's just a lovely moment and in an episode that's you know again reheated bad meatloaf and and flavorless mashed potatoes um it's nice to have this moment you know with tara and willow where they're naming the constellations and it's so sweet and they're such a great couple and it's so nice to just have a nice moment i love this whole scene so much it's so nice i know we need an excuse for somebody to be staring at the sky when the meteorite does its thing this is i'll take it this is the best oh this is (laughs) the actual best like if we needed a reason if Mm. we needed that setup i'm like i this is this is wonderful willow see i can't even speak willow and tara (laughs) on the roof with the constellations is queer catnip I mean, spoiler alert, this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. I love it so much. I love it so, so much. Um, And when this quarantine nonsense is over, I am Mm -hmm. taking my girlfriend to a friendly rooftop somewhere. Like, this is so good. It's so good. I Mm -hmm. love that Willow starts talking about dying stars and Tara immediately is like, were things rough at the hospital? Like, it's this great bid for connection like i'm here if you want to talk and willow just kind of flinches and you know doesn't seem to want to talk about her feelings but i love that tara is like Mm -hmm. tara's reading between the lines like tara knows what's up and i tara sees i love it so much i mean and then tara pointing out the big pineapple oh man and then she explains her explanation is so good so good. I'm going to spend way too long on this, but I love it. She says, the real ones never made sense to me. I sort of have my own. Oh, yeah. Which is the most brilliant approach to stories where you don't see yourself represented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and constellations are stories. Yes, they are. That's, I mean, that's yep. kind of the point mm-hmm. of identifying constellations for a lot of people. And Tara is understandably not into the idea of Poseidon placing Cassiopeia upside down among the stars to punish her for having been pretentious. I mean, that sounds exactly like something Tara's father would do. Oh, yeah. 
So absolutely. I mean, so she makes it a pineapple. I love. She that. makes it a pineapple. She <laughs> queers constellations. Yes. And also, I mean, Rebecca Rand Kirshner. This is delightful. Mm-hmm. Short yes. man looking uncomfortable. <laughs> Moose getting a sponge bath. Little pile of crackers. Like, oh, give it up for some adorable, delightful. Writing, mm-hmm. I love it's this. It's very nice. It's I love nice. it. I love it. I, like I love it. Too. It makes me smile. It makes me mm-hmm. happy. It gives me all of the like queer story rewriting feels delightful. This uh-huh. is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which did not come out, by the way, for another four years. Um, right. Mm-hmm. This is that romantic deliciousness of, you know, tell me which constellations you know, but with femme, mm-hmm. lesbian, witches, and I just. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I, I love that Tara and Willow did it first. That's just my whole. I love it. I oh love it, my I love god! It, I love it. No, I love it. I think it's. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it was one of the few moments in this uh, in this episode where I was like, "Oh no, that's genuinely good," you know. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, did not enjoy as much um, Joyce in oh. this episode. Yep. Uh, I get that Joyce is saying strange things because of the pressure of the tumor in her brain, you know, and that it does, you know, create uh, odd, you know, affectations and personality. Like, I get that. Um, but w- she's supposed to just flash in and flash out. And then suddenly she's supposed to be Joyce again. But she's not Joyce in this episode. She is suddenly incredibly childlike at all turns, you know, uh, she won't talk to the doctor. She makes Buffy do it for her. Um, and I know the swap between parent and child does happen, you know, sometimes when a parent needs caretaking. But Joyce is still Joyce not predominantly. To, yeah, not to this degree. Yeah. And not, and not, yeah. Not typically. When a child is that young, when both children are that young. Like if a, if a parent is, you know, way up there and then you're the child is in their 40s, 50s, you know. Um, I mean, that is a time when you can see, I think, that swap happen a, a little more abruptly, you know. But in this circumstance, you know, um, I don't. And also, the brain tumor has not completely incapacitated her. She is just treated as a child because there's something going on in her brain. Like, the way that we see her mm-hmm. is as completely incapacitated. And even in the end, you know, when we have her talking about what she saw with Buffy, she speaks like a child, you know? We do get a little bit of actual Joyce, but it's not mm-hmm. enough. And mostly she is just completely childlike uh, during this whole thing, which I think is where she's also on medication, but we don't talk about that. We don't address it. This is the thing. Like, it's not addressed that she is not behaving like Joyce, even when she's not shouting these weird things. We talk about the flashes as being a thing, mm-hmm. but not that the rest of the time it's weird. And I find it especially troubling in the same way, I find this like instant othering of people with mental illness in this episode. Um, we've talked about this at length before. We've addressed this a bit. Uh, but I just want to say that the scariest thing in this episode, demons included, is not the demon. It's how uncommented upon the terrible treatment of people with mental illness is this is treated as normal and appropriate. Strapped to beds multiple per room, ignored when they cry out and treated as subhuman. And then Ben hires an out-of-towner to kill them all, um, which is another thing. We've already addressed that. Uh, but I find I find the um, the way that the lives of these people who have been destabilized by glory, you know, are treated as so much less. If somebody, if okay, can you imagine if we had five people in a room? all of whom had been in a car crash, right? So they're bleeding profusely, they're crying because they're in pain, and we stuff them all in one room, strap them all to beds, and ignore their cries. I mean, we would be horrified. And yet, here we are. Well, and we have another shitty middle-aged female nurse, too. Uh She's just kind of barely there. We see her cover up the patient and then turn the lights yeah. out and leave. And, you know, he's yeah. screaming at her not to leave. But yeah. she's just like she's just presented as like cold she's and nurse ratchet. Yeah. Right? 
yeah. sitting there like eating mini donuts while the queller drops yeah. down on right on these patients. It's mm-hmm. it, we treat them me- as less than human textually. Like we yeah. treat them as as not just destabilized by glory, but dehumanized by glory. And glory isn't the one that dehumanizes them. We do. Yeah. Yeah. But we also, I don't know, we also then turn right around and like pin this neglect on this unnamed female nurse Mm -hmm. who is ignoring the screaming that's going on in the other room. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, I mean, we've seen this before. We see this before, or we see this all over, but we've seen it before Mm -hmm. on Buffy too with the, there's like this middle-aged woman trope that they mm-hmm. like to hit upon that's like right the the like secretly the worst people <laughs> are the are the middle-aged nurses and cafeteria ladies and yep. this absent mm-hmm. a population from this world yeah. because they're uh, the only the only representation is as neglectful and evil yeah. and I'm going way too far into the weeds on this thing that's like not really a thing no, but, but it's, like but it's interesting here we, we go again see, with this nurse right we don't see middle-aged women. i mean even like giles's girlfriends you know jenny calendar and olivia were like early 30s right but they were also beautiful right we don't get any you know normal looking middle-aged women who aren't just there to be the handmaidens of evil. Now, is there something to be said about middle-aged white women being the handmaidens of evil? Yes, I think that there is, but I don't think that that's what they're trying to do. No. I don't think they're making that kind of social commentary. They are taking these women that are essentially disposable and and making them evil. You know, so yeah, I think that there's there's something a little bit disturbing in that presumptive space. And even the nurse you know? who preps Joyce for surgery is mm-hmm. slightly yeah. younger. And slightly prettier, or at least depicted that way. She has right. no lines. She just comes in and mm-hmm. like does a, yeah. you know, some sort of a pre-surgery something mm-hmm. or other. But we have the nurse that called in the watchers on Faith, yeah. right? In uh, in this year's girl. Um, yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's a, it's fucked up, guys. It's a, it's it a is. thing. Um, it is. But we're talking about Joyce. I mean, our, we basically are talking are like about our... Joyce. We're talking about a pretty middle-aged woman, so we care about her. And, I mean, yeah. And I like her being angry at the doctor. Yes. I mm-hmm. like, you know, like, no, I am feeling worse staying in the hospital. Right. Like, I want to get the hell out of mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like her mm-hmm. being mom to Willow when she comes in with gifts. Yeah. Like, even with a headache... You know, she's in the hospital. She's got this, you know, not so little, little headache. And Mm -hmm. Willow is having that moment of being kind of embarrassed for having brought maybe not quite the right thing. Um, But so cute, though. And Joyce is very sweet. Like, you can see the mom. Yes. That, like, kind Mm -hmm. maternal energy while Mm -hmm. she's also the one who is the patient. Like, it's that felt very real and very Joyce Mm to me. Mm -hmm. Um. But then when Joyce starts to have these flashes of being not herself, mm-hmm. it it's like even the moments of clarity for Joyce after that, she's not yeah. herself. Right. She's, mm-hmm. That conversation at the end between mm-hmm. Joyce and Buffy, yeah. where Joyce is confiding in Buffy, is really, really, really terrible. And I really, really hate it. <laughs> I really, <laughs> tell, really hate tell it. Tell the good people why you hate this so much. Okay. All right. So I know that we're doing this like reversal of roles with parent mm-hmm. and child, which yes. we're doing clunkily at best. Yeah. But this is not appropriate. This is not the kind of thing that as a parent, mm-hmm. you say to your child, about your other child. Like, Even it's... if the child is the slayer, this is something she should be saying to Giles. I mean, right? if she has this suspicion yeah. that there's some mystical something going on. Oh, my God. And right? how much better would that have been? How much better? And Giles not knowing 
what right? he should say like, and what does he, he say, say that he knows and, and then there you go you just, I think like, he would just I think he would just send Buffy in to tell her you know because Joyce doesn't know that Buffy knows this right Joyce right? doesn't know that Buffy has any idea Joy, like you know she has no idea and the idea that that I, I, we've had this swap it's parent child swap which is just not it's like you said clunkily done not great but like how much better would this have been if Joyce had been Joyce and she protected Buffy and went to Giles and said, I think there's something wrong. And I mean, I feel you know that I feel super conflicted about like a secret identity story or secrets within stories, because it's like, why why are we not just telling each other things? But I love the yeah. idea that Joyce would go to Giles with something yeah. like this. And then. Yeah. Everybody would have the conflict about like, do I, t- who do I tell that I know what I know? How and do I, right. That and would how, be great. And how Giles handled that situation that would That would be too. wonderful. Yeah. But what mm-hmm. we get instead is this like, yeah, weird, weirdly uncomfortable. very childlike, right? It's not you know? good. Yeah. It's not good. No. Dawn, she's not mine, is she? Mm-hmm. She does belong to us, though. Like, it's this very, she's speaking kind of out of she time. She has the dialogue of an eight-year-old child. It's just, nope, nope, mm-hmm. nope, nope, nope. And nope. then that whole bit about as precious as you are to me, like, she's clearly, Joyce is framing mm-hmm. this as having a favorite child. Yeah. Because even though Dawn feels like her daughter, Buffy feels more like her daughter and Buffy is the favorite. And it's, I don't know. This is some enmeshed relationship bullshit and just no, no. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really not like it. I do (laughs) not like it. It really not good. It doesn't, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. (laughs) But you know what actually was kind of awesome though? I mean, Dawn's kind of a fucking badass in this Dawn episode. Is like, great. she comes in, sees a demon on her mother, and freaking gets a coat rack and beats the shit out of it. Gets it out, shuts the door, screams for Buffy, does everything right. Uh, Dawn sits there and takes care of her mother. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she's just fantastic in it, and I get. I get why Dawn annoys people. Like, I get what it is. Also, because she's she's kind of written a, a little more childlike, at least in the early stages, than is appropriate necessarily for her age. So there's some of that, you know, dissonance, which is a little irritating. Um, but I actually like Dawn for the most part. I like Dawn. I think she's great. And I love her in this. She is great in this episode. I mean, I've talked before mm-hmm. about how much I love Dawn, but this is so minor, yeah. I so appreciate that Dawn is not easily grossed out. Yes. I, I like love, that too. I mean, I love her beating a demon off her mother and successfully like <laughs> barricading the room and yeah, huh? like amazing. But I also love yeah. that she's sitting there as we, you know, as we open eating lime jello with her fingers while talking about how gelatin is made from ground up cow's feet. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. Full for Love, when Buffy reveals her stab wound, Dawn's initial reaction is cool. <laughs> like yeah. She's not yeah. easily grossed out or upset in this way yeah. that we're told that little girls air quotes right or are. women or yes or, exactly. you know it's mm-hmm. it is lovely and fantastic and i love it yeah i was yeah. a little Dawn bit it's very cool mm-hmm. i was just a little bit confused about the layout of the summer's house though upstairs i have never figured out is there a i have door? never figured out it looks there's like a door there's a the door directly from dawn's room to joyce's room can that be right think so i'm confused I mean, by the whole thing and maybe there is there's i mean joyce's room has a door to the bathroom and has a door to the hallway and then i think yeah maybe it is a door to Dawn's room i'm not I mean, sure that's not unheard of especially for a quote-unquote baby's mm-hmm. room right but i it, i was briefly confused when dawn was barricading like i didn't i felt like i didn't have a good sense of the space and what i have never had a sense of the so, upstairs the upstairs of, of the Summer's house feels like the TARDIS to me. Like it expands. <laughs> it's bigger than it looks from the outside. I mean, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I long ago, and also like I'm very, very bad at figuring out like the spatial, like I have the 
world's worst, worst sense of direction. <laughs> you know, you can you can put me outside in a place that I've lived for a number of years and not even spin me around a couple of times. And I still will be like, I don't know what direction. I don't I'm, know where I, I am. Know. I don't know what's going on. I have no oh, idea. No. Um, so yeah, I've got really, really terrible sense of direction. So me figuring out like the space of everything is kind of beyond me. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that on the internet somewhere, somebody has a blueprint of the summer oh, totally. past that actually makes sense. But I have absolutely no idea how this stuff works um but i do have a question though about dawn yes um does dawn have a soul i mean she's human Uh, she's energy made human right Uh uh-huh but not human because everybody sees what she is at her core um but did the, did the monks give her a soul? Can they give her a soul? If so, why can't they just cure Angel? I don't know. <laughs> if you can just make a soul from shit you have around the house, monks. <laughs> go to town. There's a guy in L.A. you could see, you know. I mean. Um, yeah. So, like, how, how. What a weird. What a bizarre question. Because I just occurred to me today. I was like, wait a minute. Wait. You know, because Dawn's clearly good. Dawn's yeah. vulnerable. Dawn's a, you know, Dawn has a moral center, mm-hmm. you know. Um, she's not evil, you know. Like, yeah. but does she, can she have a soul? And how did the monks make it? Is it kind of the way that they make a turkey from tofu? Is it soul-esque? Oh my is god. It like, is it like this'll do, you know, for a soul uh when you're when you're a monk? I don't know. I don't know. Well but I find it interesting. I mean and it seems to it it would fit within the world that she had a soul because yeah. having a soul is presented as the thing that keeps you from Mm-hmm be destroyed see no i got uh i don't totally i don't totally understand i'm we're we're five seasons in and i'm like i don't really know how the show thinks the soul works i know that i still don't get it vampires are supposed to not have them and that's what makes them monsters but but i don't know i don't know i don't know but and then of course you like that that bumps you up against the question of like, well, what does it mean to be human? If she's energy mm-hmm. made human, yeah. I mean, obviously she has emotions. She has insecurities. Yeah. She has fears mm-hmm. and, you know, as you say, like vulnerabilities. But she's just a little girl, but she's a key. But she's just a little girl. Like she's just a, she's actually a little girl. I, I don't know. It's so it's so weird. Like the the. The essence of her existence is um, is really murky. But in the end, we just have to believe that whatever this this key energy is, is basically Dawn's soul, the way that our souls are our souls. I guess. And they just put it in a little girl and sent it to Buffy via UPS ground, (laughs) I guess. Like, I don't... Kind huh. of interstellar mystical, you know, uh, delivery package delivery system sure, that they have. I don't sure, know. and sometimes and demons are from you. space. It's fine. You know what? Sometimes We've, they are. Noel, what are you wearing? We've never had <laughs> demons from space, I but no, now we do. It's whatever. Fine. It's a thing. It's all yeah. fine. It's all fine. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So Noel, what are you wearing? All right, so we don't have a lot of like deeply symbolic wardrobe choices in this episode, mm-hmm. but we do get Joyce's long white nightgown, which is a staple mm-hmm. of the suspense horror genre for fucking ever. I mean, right? It's pretty much it. It really just adds to the creep factor of mm-hmm. there's a monster in the house, and it's the middle of the night, and she's mm-hmm. you know. Like sort of floating down the stairs in this like not quite all together, yeah, you know, sense. Like it's a very, mm-hmm. it's yep. a very very tropey, but it's very good. It works really well. It also kind of ties into that she is more of a child. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very it it reads quite um, mm-hmm. vulnerable. And it, yeah. I think it's supposed to. Um, and it's also just really hard to look creepy coming down the stairs in the middle of the night if you're wearing like flannel pajamas. 
Very true. You just kind of look true. like you're going to get a snack, whereas the white <laughs> nightgown. Right. The white nightgown. The white nightgown that, like, no woman has worn since Victorian days. Like, oh, I don't know. When my mom came home from the hospital from one of her surgeries, she had a lot. Yeah. I don't know that it was white, but it was one of those, like, full-length Full-length nightgowns? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, think I thought was... we all just wore tank tops and sweats to bed. I mean... <laughs> I don't, I don't sleep with a lot of grown women, though, so I got to say, I don't know. <laughs> well, I do. And let me tell you. No. <laughs> What's right, your favorite no. part? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we got to do Girl Power of the Week first. Yes. Oh, not with a girl pal bit. <laughs> we got to do Girl Power of the Week. Um, <laughs> sleeping with grown women. That's my Girl Power right. of the Week. <laughs> that is very girl power. I mean... Dawn with the hat rack or the coat rack, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and the door yeah. barricade. I mean, awesome. Awesome. Yes, she does everything that. right. Totally. She's so great. Yes. The mom bedroom lockdown procedure. She is good. Mm-hmm. She is okay mm-hmm. to go. Um, but also, I would argue maybe a little bit Willow trying so hard, you guys. Oh, my God. Willow's the best in this episode. We don't get a whole lot of time with with Willow, but what we get is fantastic. I mean, staking vamps despite being scared and then getting shaky. And she got two of them. She did. Yeah. She, she did. Good for yeah. her. And big ones, too. If yes. you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered what Noelle would look like if they were a vampire, <laughs> those like... <laughs> You know, meathead, Amazon babe kind of vampire. I mean, it's close. I love it. It's close. I love it. Um, I don't know. I just felt very represented. There was like vampire like representation it. for my body There's type briefly, and I was excited. I like it. Um, but, but also, you know, Willow shows up at the hospital as skinny female mm. Jewish Santa Claus. Oh, I know. And giving Dawn age and level appropriate spell paraphernalia i wanted that book right so good also thumbs up for gay ants who come bearing esoteric reading material hell yeah i mean (laughs) there you go um Uh not calling buffy even though she really really wants to i know like baby i know she's so boundaries and of course tara reminding her like you, mm-hmm. I know you really want to, but you can't. She's got life stuff that has to come first. I I'm like, know. yeah, boundaries, boundaries I I for the girl Tara. power. I love Tara's it. the best. Tara's the best of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to be a good person, just think what would Tara do? <laughs> She's also fictional, so yeah, yeah, that's problem. true. What does that? What does that say? Okay, so what's your favorite part? I mean, surprising no one. Mm-hmm. Tara queering the constellations. It's pretty great. It's great. It's great. It's pretty great. It's What's your favorite great. part? Uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, Buffy crying while washing the dishes. I mean, there's something yeah. extremely relatable about that experience. Like you're taking care of a whole household and the only time you get to yourself is when you're doing a chore that no one wants to help you with, yep. you know, um, and you can actually sit and cry in that moment because people will leave you alone. Um, so, yeah, like I really I, I felt that moment. Of course, Sarah Michelle Geller, no matter what ridiculousness they give her always can bring the emotion yeah so this episode has a lot of ridiculous like last week she had to straddle a rubber snake and beat the shit out of it and this week she had to have a space cockroach on top of her and like pull off she pulls off all of that stuff but these emotional moments are really where she shines and i think she did such a great job with that buffy crying while doing the dishes to obnoxiously upbeat music on a bad day is the realest i think this show has ever gotten it is incredibly real. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join and come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter and Noelle is at Noelle Allowed on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our May producers. Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers, you're the one who insisted on teaching her to talk. (laughs) 
Patreon. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. And don't forget, we are in the middle of Goatchella, which is what I have named the Zoom meeting that I will have with 300 Chipperish supporters uh, on Zoom. We will uh, invite a goat in. Uh, we are fundraising for that now. Stretch goal to uh, get that support up. So if you are so inclined, visit patreon.com slash chipperish and make that shit happen. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or frisk about like a fluffy lamb. I actually should take that out because Goatchella is going to be done by the time this episode goes out. I forgot we're so far ahead. <laughs> we're ahead. It's great. We are ahead. Goatchella. We will be back next time with Into the Woods, the 10th episode of season five and the exit of Riley. Oh my God, I am so excited just for that. (laughs) Until then, we can't call Buffy. I want to call Buffy. (laughs) I love it. Meanwhile, out in the hospital, why is my mouth not working? Welcome to Sunday morning, which could be any other morning because yeah. nobody knows what day it is. Because and it is. Fuck it all. Yeah. It could be literally yeah. any day. We have no idea. It honestly really could. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you about the other weekend when I woke up and I was like, it is Thursday. 100% sure. <laughs> totally certain. Like, who does that? Not just in Everybody, quarantine, but like yeah. in general. Like, it's Saturday morning and I'm like, really confidently, 100% Thursday. Definitely Thursday, not any other day of the week. What? I know what day it is. What? Oh, my God. Grasping at straws. Oh, my God.